in pirate country and it's time to get pumped up with the p-man hit the door and hit the road 94.3 the game is going to get you home and the p-man's not holding back yes yes pirates win pirates win bring on the patrick johnson show on 94.3 the game holy mackerel oh my goodness the flagship station of the ecu pirates Welcome in here to the Thursday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. The P-Man is on his way to Williams Arena Minji's Coliseum for tonight's contest between the UNCW Seahawks and the East Carolina Pirates. You can hear that game right here on 94.3 The Game or Sister Station 107.9 as part of the ECU Sports Network. Darren Vaughn and the coach Michael Perry will be on the call for the game tonight. We are going to get you into network. We're going to take you to the top of the hour at 6 o'clock, almost taking you up to network coverage, which will start at 6.30 here on the Patrick Johnson Show. we got a fun-filled show for you today. We will be joined by Jim Zoki. Talk about the David Tepper getting rid of Frank Reich news, as well as the Panthers kind of moving forward. We'll also be joined by the voice of Pirate Baseball, Scott Scooter Rogers, to talk about the pirate schedule which released yesterday talk about the carolina game games i should say the campbell games and other highlights to that schedule but right now we are going to hear from coach schwartz his comments to the media yesterday going into today's game against the seahawks on today's pirate report and now patrick johnson with today's pirate report on the flagship station of the ecu pirates 94.3 the game Due to us having two guests today, we do have to get through these pretty quick. So we're going to start out here as the coach of the Pirates, Mike Schwartz, gave us his scouting report on the, his opponent today, the UNCW Seahawks. Really big challenge for our team with a very good UNC Wilmington team coming in here, a 5-1 and high-pressure defensive team. Um, shoot the ball about as well as anybody in the country, nearly 44% from three, so we know what kind of challenge this is going to be for us tomorrow night. The Seahawks come into tonight's contest with a record of 5-1, and one, most recently played on Saturday down at Fort Myers, Florida, against Florida Gulf Coast, where they were victorious 71-55. to 55. Their only loss came last Tuesday night to the Mountaineers of Appalachian State, so... Um, they do have a loss in the seasons that seemed to humble them a little bit as they were able to go down and take care of business quite easily against Florida Gulf Coast. They will leave here, though, and travel up to Lexington, to Kentucky, to take on the 12th-ranked Wildcats. So we're going to move on a little bit here, and uh, Coach Schwartz talked about what worries him about this Seahawks team. Uh, how great they shoot the basketball. Uh, I think they're a very good, disciplined offensive team. They play fast. They do create a lot of offense with their defense. Uh, but, you know, looking at just from film-wise and numbers-wise, they have a lot of really good players, including guys that hurt us last year uh, at Wilmington. But they shoot shooting the ball at a very high level, literally number four in the country right now in terms of the way they shoot the basketball. So, uh, obviously, we have to guard the three-point line. And with the updated stats after last night's contest that took place across the country, they have the second-highest 
three-point shooting percentage in the nation at 43.5%. Another thing they do not do a lot of is turn the ball over. They get shots on all but 9.7 possessions that they have. 41st in the country at taking care of the basketball. And they can create shots. They don't always have to come off passes. They're only averaging 12.7 assists. So not a great assist-to-turnover ratio despite not turning the basketball over a lot. This is a team that can shoot um, via the catch-and-shoot, but it's really good spot-up shooters, really good at creating shots for themselves, and they do it in a variety of ways. They also have four players averaging over double-digit points. So definitely a team that you have to be noticeable of when you're on the defensive end, which is surprisingly where the Pirates have struggled here in the early season with having such a defensive mindset. But today would be the perfect day to get it turned around in this rivalry game. I would think Coach Siddle would say the same thing. I think his team, our team, they're both just really motivated because we had an opportunity to play. There's no doubt this is great for the fan bases, uh, great for the programs. And Wilmington has a, a rich tradition of basketball. They've done, they always have been, and they're doing it again right now. Uh, but from a motivation standpoint, I think both teams are just excited to play in a high-level game. It was an incredible atmosphere in Wilmington last year, as good as we were in all year. And we hope that Minji's will be that tomorrow night. And when you play the rivalry game, the biggest thing you need is a fan support. They always get a lot of fan support down in Wilmington as they did last season when they hosted the Pirates. And uh, hopefully the Pirate Nation will show up big tonight. It would be awesome if we have Minji's pack tomorrow night. It, it really would be. Uh, I tell you, like, there wasn't a seat open in the house last year in Trask Coliseum. And it was an electric atmosphere, and I think our guys are excited. Uh, I know it's a you know painted purple type game in terms of the atmosphere and, and, and the fans and the students, and I know they're going to have giveaways. So it would obviously be electric to have that kind of atmosphere in there. That'll do it for a pirate report here. We're going to have to do a quick opening segment as we do have Jim Zoki waiting for us on the phone line. So we are going to get to him to talk everything you need to know about the Carolina Panthers moving forward into their game this weekend against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We are. We are. We are. Riding shotgun with you on the drive home. It's showtime. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back into the Thursday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. We are joined by Jim Zoki, the uh, voice of the Pirates. I guess we can still call him that as college football is not officially over. And uh, he works for the Panthers Radio Network. How you doing on this Thursday, Jim? Doing well. Hope you are, Philip. Yeah, I'm great. So, uh, first off, we're going to mostly talk Panthers. But I have to say, you, you had great reviews from the people here in Greenville. Unfortunately, I know the season didn't turn out how you liked, but uh, is there any chance we can get you back for 2024? The people here love you. We hope you enjoyed doing our games. I know they weren't the most fun always, but did you enjoy your time in Greenville? I enjoyed uh, Greenville. I enjoyed meeting as many of the fans as I could. enjoyed working with you, know, you and Kevin and Andrew and David and Mayfield and all the crew at Playfly. And you know, it's been great. And honestly, working with Coach Houston and, and John Gilbert and all the crew out there. It's, uh, it's been a blast. And obviously, nobody, it's never fun. As John Fox used to famously say, this game's only fun when you're winning. But uh, obviously, each game, each season is different. The only 
thing I would say is that uh, out of uh, bad seasons, uh, and we've had some of the Panthers through the years, it always turns around. You wish it would turn around in season, and sometimes it does. For the Pirates, it wasn't one of those years. But, yeah, if they, if they would like to have me back, I'd love to come back and, and keep on doing it. Well, we're glad that you enjoyed hanging out with us. Like I said, we enjoyed having you. Um, I'm sure you didn't enjoy the travel. And I do have one question for you that relates solely to travel, and I want you to be honest with me. If I'm being a Fairweather fan, you can call me out. I don't care. So I am definitely going to go to the Green Bay game because I'm already going to be home for Christmas. But is it bad that I'm really thinking about not going to this Atlanta game in two weeks because I'm just like, uh, do I really want to make that commute? If I don't have to, and don't worry, I'm not going to sell my ticket to a Falcons fan. Just, you know, tell my sister she can take her boyfriend or tell my daddy he can take a friend. Boy, is that bad that I don't want to go to the game? No, as long as you repurpose it in the proper way, like uh, some uh, some kid who wants to go to a game, maybe he's never been alone with his dad or something like that, it's fine. I get it. I mean, I'll be honest. It's like, you know, to be completely honest, even in a bad season, you know, people like us, we're working a job, so we're we're not invested financially like people. I really respect the fact that people come out and spend their money for tickets and, you know, food and merch and tailgating and put their time into it. So I, I get why people get upset and boom and, and aren't happy when it doesn't go right. You know, for me, it's, it's for you and people that do this for a living, you know, it's our job. This is what we do. So this is our career. So, but yeah, I really appreciate fans and yeah, you're kind of both in that case where you work and you're also a fan. So yeah, you're free to make your own, personal time judgment or walk out of a bad movie or a bad concert if you don't like it so yeah no, no judgment if you don't feel like going to that one <laughs> i appreciate it. it's just the commute that's it if i was still living with my parents in charlotte i wouldn't be saying this it's just the commute to let everybody know who's waiting i'm very familiar with that forest. commute yes i understand <laughs> what you're saying absolutely and see that's why i asked you you're you're the person yeah. who can best relate uniquely qualified. uniquely qualified to that commute. just to give you an example of my last one i never ask anyone to feel sorry i picked my life but it's like the uh, two o'clock game of course at home ends about six o'clock in greenville i drive to charlotte douglas airport get there about 10 for a 12 30 flight to nashville get in there at what is about three o'clock eastern time get up at seven eastern time and on to my next panther game that morning in nashville flew back with the team on the charter there so it's um the travel was interesting it wasn't always that way there were some where obviously there's thursday games or monday games uh, by weeks and all that stuff, but there were a couple of interesting ones as far as I did pull one complete all-nighter uh, between uh, the college game and the pro game, but uh, that's why you got to love what you do. And uh, it's, it's you know, hey, NFL and and fun college football when it's when it's going well is great, and when it's not, you just you just kind of get through it, and, and you know they'll fix it, and eventually the teams will come around the way they need to be. Yeah. So, do you have enough frequent flyer miles to take a, a free trip this summer? I feel like you should have that by at this point. So, okay, funny quick story. You don't know this, but I actually had a credit card fraud, and they didn't do any transactions, but they took my miles. And I just got done yesterday after two months getting my miles reinstated. So, yes, I am going to do some kind of a trip once we get through football season. That's the thing about college and pro with no bowl game is that we still have six more Panther games. Whoever decided 17-game regular season is great uh, must have had a winning team because – it's, it's probably great when your team's doing well, but if your team's not doing well, 17 sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. I know the players don't love it, but I could go on all day my opinions about the 17th game. I think it hosed the schedule, like and yeah. But anyways, so I guess we have to address the elephant in the room. We've put it on long enough, put it off long enough. Frank Reich has been let go by David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers. Is this something you kind of saw coming, Jim? Did you think it was going to happen at the end of the year, or were you 
when you woke up Monday morning and or Monday afternoon and saw this was just kind of what you expected? I'll be honest. I I didn't think about him potentially being fired until probably about two weeks ago. You know, they they beat Houston um, about a month ago for their first win, and things were kind of um, somewhat on the ascent. It wasn't great, but they were they were, they were showing, especially with Bryce, the signs of improvement. Stats were not huge, but you could see like okay, it's kind of like an expansion team with a rookie quarterback. It's going a certain way, and then just four just like clunkers in a row. Whether the score was close or not, like Chicago was close. Tennessee was close, but just he never felt like it's kind of like ECU, like they could score 20 points. It just doesn't feel like they're going to win these games. Um, and I just felt like this is different than college. You know, those are 20 year olds, and they've got class, they got stuff going on. When you're professional football, you have one job and one job only, and it's pass, fail, win or lose games. And the big picture was it just didn't feel like it was going anywhere. It just felt like it was like the, 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 the definition of insanity. We're doing the same thing over and over and over again with the same results coming out of it. So I didn't really even think about the possibility of it being this year until about two weeks ago. Uh, so I'm not knowing Tepper and, and, you know, the way he's gone through coaches and so forth. I'm not surprised he did it now. And honestly, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think um, Chris Tabor is very well regarded as a special teams guy. I know he's purely interim. Um, but I think, you know, it's funny, on the plane ride back from Nashville, J.J. Jansen, our long snapper, we were talking in a, in a group where our, our seats were on the plane, and he just happened to be talking about Chris Tabor in particular, how much he loves playing for him. And our special teams are always good, and Chris Tabor is viewed as one of the top two or three special teams coordinators in the league. I'm really interested and excited to see what Chris can do, and he's kind of been a breath of fresh air. Frank's a great guy. I like him. I've known Frank uh, all and on through the times he's been here with the Panthers. Great guy, and obviously he's had success in the league. But I think Chris is bringing in kind of a, a little bit uh, less heavy approach. He's going to hand it over to the two coordinators doing offense and defense. He'll continue to do special teams. I'm kind of interested to see if, like Steve Wilkes last year, if we don't get a little little spark and just some signs of life and, and see something out of Bryce and um, and this team overall. So a um, little bit surprised, I guess. But on the other hand, I think, I think it's um, a little bit refreshing, too, and I'm interested to see what they do over these next six games. Yeah, hopefully they can get that spark, especially because we're not in that situation Jacksonville was in a few years ago when Trevor was a rookie and they were able to get the number one pick the next year again. Obviously, the Bears have our first-round pick. I do have one off-topic question, just because you brought him up. If Jason Kelsey retires, even though J.J. Jansen's a specialist, can we call him the NFL's Ironman? I don't think he's missed a game since he joined the team in 08. I've always said, like, he's definitely our Ironman since John Casey retired. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got the, the record for games played, of course, in a row. And then um, I mean, he goes back to John Fox. I hadn't even thought about, like, the coaching aspect of it. He was here for John Fox's last two years. That's how far J.J. Jansen goes back, 16 years uh, with the Carolina Panthers. And so, obviously, all of Ron Rivera, all of Matt Rule, uh, and now we've got uh, Teddy Brisby, his third interim coach he's had, Perry Fuel. Some people forget about that one at the end of the Ron Rivera season, in addition to Steve Wilkes. So, He's been through it all, man, and he's, uh, he's again, talk about one, being one of the two or three best at what you do in the league. That's J.J. for sure. Yeah, I, I do really like J.J. Um, so we'll kind of move on into the, I guess, the future side of things. I mean, I guess it's, I mean, it's only been, what, three days, so we don't know anything, but have there been any talks about who it is for the future? Do you have any opinions to who you would like to see, or at least maybe a type of coach, even if you can't give us a specific name? Uh, obviously, this offseason when they decide to move on from probably from Chris Tabor. I mean, like you said, it truly is an interim deal. 
Uh, any ideas on what we're seeing going forward here? Hey, you know, I, I don't, except obviously somebody with uh, with experience. It won't be a Matt Rule-type hiring ever again, obviously, as far as someone who was just entirely collegiate, like Urban Meyer was down in Jacksonville, uh, and that didn't work out either. So I think obviously someone with NFL experience. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, too, I think that uh, it needs to be said, you know, what are they going to do in the front office? You know, are they going to make a change there? Are they going to stay with what they have? Because that should be a lot of your answers should be coming out of the GM uh, position as far as that's that's where that hiring should really come from. And obviously it's always collaborative with ownership and so forth. Uh, so that, as far as like who's in on it, that aspect of it, experience is going to matter. I will say this too, to me, it's never mattered if it's offense or defense as far as the base of what the head coach is. Uh, I think, you know, Steve Wilkes, Ron Rivera, guys like that, you know, they would be in a position if you hired a defensive-minded head coach, and most of them are, honestly, in the league, that they would hire you know, a really good offensive coordinator and let them deal with the minutia of Bryce Young and the offense. Now, it can be an offensive-minded person as a head coach. I know it's become more of a trend in the last couple of years, but to me, I don't think it has to be. Like, I think Frank Reich was brought in because he was a quarterback. You know, he's, he's been an offensive coordinator. That doesn't have to be the head coach. So I wouldn't exclude great defensive mind with a solid offensive coordinator as far as what that is. Uh, who it is in particular, I don't know. We've all heard some of the names, and some of them are probably crazy, Bill Belichick and you know Jim Harbaugh and, and guys like that. But uh, we'll see moving forward. And I, I'm sure they don't even know who that person is right now, and they can't interview most of them right now because they're all working in the NFL currently. So we'll see. But uh, I think that really should involve, uh, above all things, the front office as far as you know, the general manager position and all that so that they're in concert with getting the right personnel to match the coaching style of whoever it is. Yeah, obviously I guess you want a GM and a coach to get along. You don't want the uh, the scene from Moneyball where the coach and the GM aren't getting along and it's like, you do your job and I do mine. So hopefully they'll communicate yeah, we a little don't want better. Brad, we don't want Brad Pitt. We <laughs> no, we do Pitt. not want Brad Pitt. He can, he can stick to acting, but uh, no, it's it'll be interesting to see what they do. You know, you brought up the whole – defensive-minded head coach, and I'm still cool with defensive-minded head coaches, but I think when you do have one, the offensive coordinator is more important, in my opinion, than it used to be because we've gone away from that, you know, the power eye, the, the football I grew up watching, the football you grew up watching and covering. Like, now, offense is just so much more complicated. I mean, not saying OCs weren't important then, but if you have a defensive-minded head coach... It seems like if you don't have a good OC, you might be host. I don't know if it matters anymore how good the head coach is, just solely because offensive football is, is totally different than it used to be. And it's Yeah, it is, absolutely. It's become more collegiate in a lot of ways. I think Bryce Young would not be an NFL quarterback 10 years ago. I think they would look at his size and the style of the shotgun. Uh, they very seldom goes under center, things like that. And he would probably maybe not be excluded, but he'd be like a Doug Flutie kind of thing where it's like more of a, a gimmick or, or you're taking a, a shot at something unique uh, that uh, is not the, the usual of what NFL quarterbacking used to be. Now it is much more the complete, uh, collegiate RPO, things like that that didn't exist in pro football. It's always you know, seven-step drop pocket protection, things like that. As you said, running out of the eye and the teeth, you know, fullback, tailback, you don't really see that anymore. Um, so the, the other thing is like what kind of a – head coach, even if it's defensive, because some are very much like, I don't want your offense messing my defense up. For example, I need ball control as opposed to spread. I don't want to quit three and out if you guys fail. 
things like that. So it's that complementary football that we always talk about, whether it's college or pro, it, it's all got to work together. Even the type of offense you work has to work to some degree with, like, you have a gambling defense or you more kind of a sit back and don't give up the big play, uh, keep it in front of you kind of a defense. So it'll be interesting. And you need smart football people to make those decisions. That's why I say it's very critical uh, whether it's what we currently have or if there's a change up front, that that happens first and that that person – has the biggest say so in personnel and in who the head coach will be because you're hiring people to be the experts of football to, to, to let them really have that say so. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully it all get turns around. It's been a rough. I would take the, I would take the John Fox era back any day. I'll take seven and nine followed by eleven and five followed by another depressing eight and eight season to back it up with twelve and four. <laughs> I will so go back to that roller coaster because at least it was up and down at this point. Like give me no back to back winning seasons as long as they're every other year. Oh three, oh five, oh eight, you know, or darn near every other year. So gosh, I just realized how long I've been on the phone. I will not keep you too much longer, Jib. I know you got a lot going on. So just kind of looking ahead though into the immediate future. Obviously we still got Six games left to play, unfortunately. I mean, it's so great. We have six games left to play. And we've got Yay, Tampa <laughs> we've got Tampa this week at four oh five. CBS decided to move the Houston Denver game up to one o'clock. Those jerks. Poor Jim's got crappy travel schedule now. But um Yeah, I'm used to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are at this point. But um you know, just kind of looking at this game, what are your thoughts? And when are we supposed to be getting some of these guys back? I've heard J.C. Horn, uh, Henderson, they're both supposed to be back sometime soon. Any chance we see them in the near future? And even if not, what are your thoughts on this week? I've been thinking J.C. Horn the last two weeks. It's funny, as far as this game, as you said, uh, that you would think the story this week would be the the, you know, the Baker Mayfield, like the revenge game. We're seeing Baker Mayfield this week. And that's not even been a topic this week because the focus has been internally here. Uh, but Chris Tabor's been asked about uh, J.C. Horn. He's been close to getting back the last two weeks, so maybe this is the week. I mean, he's been out since the opening game with that hamstring injury. Uh, bon Bell and LaVisca Chenault did not practice yesterday. Hayden Hurst didn't practice yesterday. So we'll see. Uh, some of that they kind of keep as far as if they're going to play or not for competitive reasons down, so they have to announce it 90 minutes before kickoff. But of, of all of those, obviously getting Bon Bell back would be huge. But uh, to get J.C. Horn back, I mean, He's a, when he's healthy and it's not been often enough, he's darn near a, a shutdown corner. I wouldn't obviously put that tag on him, but, but he, he's got that potential uh, of being that good, and, and you need that back there. So hopefully that happens. And um, Chandler Zavala, of course, the rookie out of NC State, was placed on injured reserve. They just have beat the guards up this year just for whatever reason. It's just that position that has just taken a beating this year. So we'll see what that rotation looks like at the interior guard position this week. But, yeah, that uh, injuries have certainly been a factor. I don't think, honestly, it's been the biggest factor, uh, but it is a factor as far as the health and the, the number of injuries I've had this year. Yeah, and one last thing. I, I know we kind of talked on the beginning of the show. We don't want to bag on guys too much, but – Matt Rule's gone now, so maybe we can bag on him a little bit. I thought Baker personally has looked. I don't know how much time you've been able to watch the Bucks. Um, I kind of do two TVs usually if I'm not at the Panthers game. Panthers on one, red zone on the other. And now that they've got him back into that traditional five, seven step drop, I thought he's looked a lot better this year. He's not quite Cleveland Browns Baker. But he's looking a lot better now than he was with the Panthers when they were trying to run that West Coast offense that just doesn't seem to fit his style. Have you been able to watch him at all this year? And if so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've seen some, obviously. And I keep up with Baker because uh, I grew up a Browns fan. And he kind of, 
So just to make everyone feel better, the Browns went through a stretch, uh, I think it was 2016, 2017, where they, and this is hard to remember, even though it's not that long ago, they went 1-31 and 31 over two years with Hugh Jackson as coach. Then they drafted Baker Mayfield, and that next season, Baker got them back to respectability. Then they got to where they were good, won 10 games, and, and became a playoff team. And he had his ups and downs in Cleveland, but I credit him with a lot of the resurrection of getting the Browns out of what was like one of the worst eras in the history of pro football. Uh, but Baker this year, 17 touchdowns, seven interceptions. That's what you expect. And he's a smart kid. And I, I knew he was better than what he showed here in Carolina. And you said the word fit. I say that all the time to people. It's like fit matters as much as height, speed, arm strength, all that stuff when looking at players. Some players do great in particular. You know, Jake DeLome was holding a clipboard in New Orleans for four years to become a Hall of Honor guy with the, the Carolina Panthers, take him to a Super Bowl. And this is a guy who was a third-string quarterback in New Orleans. Fit matters hugely, and so when you've got the right guy in the right place, I think you're probably getting the best version of Baker right now down in Tampa with what they're doing. And they're not great, and they've lost, honestly, five of their last six games. But as far as his individual play, I think how he's playing now is really closer to the true Baker Mayfield than what we saw here for sure. Well, Jim, we thank you for your time. I know it's uh, it's been a long one, and uh, hopefully you guys have safe travels this weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Always great to talk with you, Philip. Thank you. We are going to take a quick time out. On the other side, we will be joined by the voice of Pirate Baseball, Scott Scooter Rogers. Download the new IBX Media app now and get the show for your ears and eyes. Doesn't it look great on me? This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back into the Thursday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. We uh, want to thank Jim Zoki for joining us. Just spoke with him. And now we're going to shift gears to Pirate Baseball here on the flagship station of the Pirates. We are joined by the voice of the Pirates, Scott Scooter Rogers. How's it going, Scott? Doing well, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Well, the uh, schedule dropped yesterday. I guess, you know, you and I and a lot of other people, I guess, in the industry, we already kind of knew uh, the basics, but now it's out there to the public. Well, I guess it kind of got put out to the public a couple weeks ago. Somebody might have posted it on social media. wasn't me. But um, now it is officially out there, and just kind of what are your initial thoughts on this uh, schedule? Yeah, I mean, you got your normals on the schedule with Campbell. You've got the North Carolina series in, in the second weekend, and you've got your normals also if you would see W. You've got Elon on there, and so – Overall, I think this is a decent schedule. Always that non-conference schedule is going to be good just because you're going to have those in-state opponents like I just mentioned. But looking at the American this year, it's going to be interesting to see some of these new teams. You know, UTSA had a really good year last year. Charlotte has been getting better and better. They've had really good years in the past. And, of course, Bryce is not what they used to be back in the Wayne Graham days, but that's still a solid program. And so – this schedule, I think, is going to be kind of underrated. Some people might look at it and say, well, this is kind of an average schedule. But overall, I think this schedule is going to help East Carolina with it comes to the end of May. Yeah, I think it is, too. And the biggest reason I feel like it is, is I think this out-of-conference is just tougher. We're on the road at Liberty this year. We hosted them last year. That was just, by Liberty standards, that team was abysmal. I think they'll be better. You know, Ryder almost won the Conway Regional last year. They took Duke to a seventh game, and Duke was no slouch. Uh, you look at this, um, Columbia is one of the better teams 
in the Ivy League, and then I guess you got all those, and then the Leclerc Classic. Those are only weekend series, other than Carolina, obviously, due to the expanded conference schedule. But I think this your weekend out of conference to me is a little tougher than it was last year. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, that Liberty Series is going to be huge from a RPI perspective, just because you're going on the road, you're going to get three games against a quality opponent, and anytime you go on the road, especially against opponents like that, it's going to help you no matter you win or lose, but you get a win, you know, if you win that series, if you sweep that series, it's obviously huge for, you know, your postseason resume, but yeah, like you said, you know, Ryder was very good last year in the postseason. Columbia is a is a program that year in and year out is right there at the top of the Ivy League. And for a number of years, Columbia won the Ivy League pretty much every year. And, you know, East Carolina, I believe it was Cliff Godwin's first year when they played down in the Coral Gables Regional. I believe that was 2015. Columbia was one that beat East Carolina in that regional. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of good teams out here. And you brought up the LeClaire Classic, too. You know, you have Purdue, which, you know, Maybe on paper they might not be the best program, but it's still a Big Ten team, so that'll help from an RPI perspective. You got Cal State Fullerton, you get to see Jason Dietrich again this year, the former pitching coach here at East Carolina, who is building that Fullerton program back up. That's a program that everybody knows back in the 2000s. You know, was year in and year out in in Omaha, pretty much, or right on the verge of getting to go. It's good to get back to them to get back here in Greenville, and then. Southeastern Louisiana is another solid program. They let go of their coach, Matt Reiser, this year, which is actually who Memphis just hired as their new head coach after Carrick Jackson departed. And Southeastern Louisiana has been a solid program in the past, too. They've been here for the LeClaire Classic in the past. And, uh, you know, overall, that's a really good feel for the LeClaire this year. And that's probably one of the more week, one weekend that I'm probably more excited about than any other this, this year. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about the weekend before that. That's the one the fans want to hear about. 5 o'clock Friday at the Bosch. A little early, but it is February. Trying to get it in before it gets too darn cold. It was pretty cold last year at that game at the Bosch, despite being a Sunday afternoon. Saturday, time and location to be determined. Sunday, those tar holes will be here at 2 o'clock. Can you give us any inside information on where they're possibly thinking about playing that Saturday game? I mean, is there has there been any ramblings that you can report on? Not really, no. I know they're trying to work out, you know, somewhere for a neutral side game. And you know, that's how this series, which was originally set up, you know, that third or second game, I believe it was the Durham Bulls Athletic Park you know, a few years ago, that first year, I think it was 2018 when they first did this series. And then COVID kind of you know, ruined it almost with the, with the neutral side game, and they've gone, you know, either two in Greenville or two in Chapel Hill since then. But getting back to that neutral side is going to be huge for this series. And, uh, you know, you, you know you've got so many options in the neutral side. You know, you've got Zebulon. Uh, you know, probably Kinston's probably not really in the mix because that's just from a travel perspective. But you've got Zebulon. You've got Durham. Uh, you know, Greensboro, honestly, is an option. And then, you know, you obviously have Fayetteville, too. There's so many minor league parks that are really good in driving distance of these two schools. And it's and all of them were respectable driving distances in terms of equal mileage. But, yeah, I mean, not really heard a ton on where this, where that neutral site's going to be. But uh, hopefully, you know, they can work it out and get back to that, that home neutral and home series here. But, yeah, I mean, this series, you know, is so good for college baseball in general. You know, you know obviously East Carolina and, and North Carolina do it. Clemson and South Carolina do it as well. And, you know, when you have two programs like that, when they're only – 
it, it makes sense to play each other every single year. You know, it helps North Carolina. It helps East Carolina as well. It's just overall a great series for college baseball. And ever since the series that started with Cliff Godwin here and now Scott Forbes at the helm of North Carolina, it has not disappointed at all. You know, every single year it's competitive. It, last year was really fun with East Carolina taking two out of three, especially the two games in February where East Carolina had to come from behind in both games. Uh, and, and the fans love it, too. You know, the East Carolina fans, you know, every time we go to Boshmer Stadium now, it, it, it honestly feels like there is, it's about 60, 40 East Carolina fans, and that's not exaggerating. Uh, but it just shows how, how much everybody loves this series, and hopefully this thing can, can continue to go for many years. You know, for that series, I, I want to credit Cliff Godwin for the job he's done here because when you look at football especially and basketball to an extent, you know, there's that old saying, the ACC teams don't want to play East Carolina because if you win, it's a game you should have won. And if you lose, you lost a game that you had no business losing. It's an embarrassment. Well, Carolina, NC State, Duke, the great thing is they don't feel that way in baseball. They view us as an opponent where it's like, hey, if we win, that's an RPI booster. And if we lose, that game just got us ready for the tournament because that team's a host team. So credit to Cliff Godwin and credit, I think, to all three of those programs for realizing what East Carolina is in, bas- in baseball Excuse me, and, and not getting too big of a head and being willing to play us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you got to give a huge credit, you know, to Mike Fox for for agreeing to this, you know, a few years ago, and, and a really big credit now to Scott Forbes, the head man at UNC, because you know, Coach Godwin has said that, you know, him and Scott Forbes have agreed that as long as he's here at East Carolina, as long as Scott Forbes is at North Carolina, you know, this series is going to happen every single year, and you know, it's good for for Coach Forbes to realize how big of a series this is, not only for his program for East Carolina, but just for college baseball in general. But, yeah, like you said, you know, it's good to see that, you know, NC State has been back on the schedule. You know, we went a, a, a year or so there where there were some tips going on, scheduling-wise. But, and, and Duke as well, you know, Chris Pollard has built that into a solid program as well. You know, he, you know Duke is routinely a regional team now. You know, you've won the, they've won the ACC a couple years ago. And so just to have so many quality programs, you know, within a, a two-hour radius is, is awesome from a scheduled perspective. And that's not even mentioning teams like Campbell and UNCW as well. Yep, yeah, and we're going to move on here to the conference. Well, let's stay with the rivalry side, but we're going to talk conference. The uh, 49ers are going to march up here with their dumb pickaxes and try and do to us what they did in football. I am so pumped, Scooter, that we have a – in-state rival, a close rival in conference we get to play every year. I'm excited we're hosting them this year to an extent, but I kind of enjoyed my trip to Charlotte back in 2020, a week before the world stopped turning. And um, this is just going to be fun. They're a good baseball team. They've come here for a regional. I'm excited for the Charlotte series come uh, April 12th through the 14th. Yeah, and, you know, that's every sport, too, you know, with East Carolina. Not, it's been so long since, or, you know, if ever – having a, a true in-conference, in-state rival. And, and now that you have that in Charlotte, you know, that brings so much not only for football but basketball and, and baseball as well because these are, you know, two great programs. You know, Robert Woodard has, has done a good job of building that program back up. As you mentioned, you know, they were here in a regional just two years ago. We, we went there last year and played them at the, at the Charlotte Knights Stadium and, you know, that's a program that is going to be contenders in the American from here on out. You know, that 
Robert Woodard has put them in that position, and, and we saw that last year when we played them. You know, it was a close game. East Carolina came out on top. But, yes, it, it's good to have that in-state rival now from a conference perspective, and it's going to be fun to have them on the schedule every single year now. All righty. Now I want to put baseball aside a little bit. We're going to talk to you personally. Weekend series, oh Lynchburg, Virginia, San Antonio, Texas, Boca Raton, Florida, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and New Orleans, Louisiana. Where are you most excited to go for a weekend series this year? Well, the two, you know, I, I have not been to UTSA ever, and I have not been to Florida Atlantic ever. So just excited to see those schools for the first time. Uh, Tulane is always a fun one just because it's in New Orleans. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when, you, when, you, when you're saying that you get to go play baseball, in Boca Raton, Florida, you know they they call it winning in paradise there. Well, it, it looking at pictures, hearing stories, it truly is paradise, and that's probably one that I'm looking forward to the most. One because it's guaranteed to be warm weather, and <laughs> it's always nice to play baseball in warm weather. But yeah, I mean that's that's one thing about the American is you know it's 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 spread out so much, and now with these new teams coming in, you kind of get to go to some cities that you've never been to. You know, that was one thing last year that I enjoyed so much when we went to, we played at Houston last year, we played at Cincinnati and, you know, Houston, it was opening night for major league baseball. We were in Houston, me and Chip Welch were able to slide over to the Astros game on that Thursday night before the series started. You know, when we were in Cincinnati, we played a day game on Saturday and the Reds had a night game. We were able to slide over there and watch a Reds game that night. And so, you know, there's so many cool things about these teams in the American now. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's one thing that, you know, kind of people don't really notice about jobs like this is you get to travel so much and go to all these cities. And that's one thing that I really enjoy about, you know, being being the radio voice of East Carolina baseball. And when we played Queens College, you got to hang out in my hometown and we got to go have a beer. Don't forget to leave that one out. Come on, Scooter. We did. We <laughs> did. That, uh, that, that was the game that – a lot of pirate fans wanted to forget and so it, it slipped my mind when, <laughs> when we were talking about it fair enough so now i'm going to talk to you about a place that you probably don't want to go because i think i can speak for myself for sure probably you and coach o as well the hottest we have ever been in our entire life was last year sitting in elon's press box that faces west directly into the sunlight so i have to ask you what would you like for christmas to help cool you down on tuesday march 19th when east carolina takes over elon again which last time was like 90 10 pirate fans but is that the hottest press box you've ever sat in because it's definitely the hottest one i've ever sat in the it's actually not the hottest one i think i have been in is ucf two years ago and that is because that is an open air press box and it's all concrete and it was about 500 degrees inside (laughs) of that press box And, and but yes that elon press box is very bright uh, it is very similar to what it is in Clearwater during the conference tournament for those 9 a.m. games because you cannot see anything in Clearwater for those morning games because the sun is right on you. Uh, I remember this past year, this is kind of one of my funny moments in broadcasting. We had a, uh, a field of a fly ball to like right field or something like that, and I had no idea where it went. I saw players kind of moving off to their left. I thought it went foul. 
And it honestly, yeah, I was not even close. Next thing I knew, there was a right fielder catching the ball. But that's, that's <laughs> kind of the struggles. You go, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the struggles you go through. But, yes, you know, Elon is like that because you've got the sun faces right inside the press box, and then you combine that artificial turf surface as well. It's, it's bright. You know, it, it's blinding and sometimes, but, you know, you just kind of got to work through it. But, yeah, Elon is a, uh, you know, and that's a program, too, you know, that, you know, with East Carolina pretty much playing every single year now is, is another one that's good to have on your schedule because, you know, you, you've got, you know, I mentioned it earlier, how you've got so many quality programs in North Carolina. You know, you have to schedule as many as you can every single year. Well, and then correct me if I'm wrong, they're moving. Did they move to the Colonial this year? Uh, I believe so. It, it, I have yeah. to correct you there. It's the, Co- the Coastal Athletic Association. Now. Oh, is it? They've changed it. So, but they have, or no, they were in the CAA last year. I feel like they're moving conferences. I feel like they're moving up. Or is it that uh, Campbell's moving up to join them? There's some movement going. I feel like Camp, Campbell Campbell did join the CAA. Uh, they left the Big Ten. They joined the CAA. Never mind. I was going to say that it got tougher for Elon. It's going to make them look better. It's going to make Campbell look better. We only see Campbell twice this year. I guess that's kind of the norm. Were you surprised to not see a uh, a neutral site game there against Campbell, or was were you kind of expecting just the home and home? Uh, you know, it was fun last year doing that, doing the three games against Campbell. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that's something that you know maybe just didn't work out this year. But that's certainly something I would hope you know gets back on the schedule because it was fun. You know, going to Fayetteville last year, playing at Woodpecker Stadium was. Which really cool, you know. That's one of the newer minor league parks in North Carolina. But man, those those three games were certainly tough. Uh, if, I, if memory serves me correct, I think they were all one run games. And of course, that game here in Greenville last year was just insane. You know, with, with the high scoring and comeback by Campbell in that ninth inning. But you know, that's a that it, it, it that has become you know such a, a rivalry because of how good Campbell has gotten recently and, you know, especially now because they had our number last year winning three games. But, you know, regardless, that's another one that you, know, you have to have on your schedule because win or lose, you know, RPI perspective for Campbell is really good with them beating East Carolina three times. But because Campbell is so good too, you know, if East Carolina can beat them, that helps the Pirates as well. Yes, it does. Well, thank you for your time, Scott. Sorry we did uh we kept you a little long, but uh we've we're running up here near to the top of the hour, so appreciate you joining us. All good, Philip. Looking forward to uh Minji's Coliseum tonight. Gonna be a fun one against the Seahawks. Looking to see the uh Pirates get back on the winning ways hopefully tonight. Hopefully they do indeed, Scar. We will be back to wrap up the Thursday edition of the Pastor Johnson show on the other side of this timeout. And now stunning conclusion of the show it's the p-man here on 94.3 the game welcome into our thursday edition of the patrick johnson shows we get set to wrap it up have about five minutes here left in the show before we have to take our final break and then uh bottom of the six o'clock hour 6 30 we'll have east carolina and uncw basketball coverage Looking at the all-time series, this is the program the Pirates have actually played the third most all-time. There have been 64 meetings between the two programs, the Seahawks leading at 38-26 to all-time, and uh, last year they had that 74-61 victory 
down in Wilmington. So the Pirates will try and bounce back from that tough defeat last year as well as that tough defeat last time out to George Mason. Hopefully the Pirates can kind of get back to their old ways. I still think this is a very good basketball team, but they haven't been able to practice a lot, and uh, or at least they haven't had a lot of their stars at practice. You know, Brandon Johnson's been out. He's missed some games as well as practice. Ezra Asar has missed some practice time. He hasn't missed a game yet, fortunately, but has been uh, you know, kind of a limited participant in practice as well as not being able to uh, you know, go full go in games. You can definitely tell he hasn't been quite himself, so hopefully this team can bounce back. Just kind of look at the slate of games going on here, top of the hour. Uh, 13th-ranked Florida Atlantic, uh, another American Athletic Conference team, will be hosting 6-0 Liberty, so that's a big one tonight. Also got Texas Tech and Butler coming your way at 6.30. Not as big of a slate tonight, though, when it comes to college basketball games due to that Big Ten, or sorry, ACC-SEC challenge that happened over the last two days. But a couple other American Athletic Conference teams in action tonight. I already told you about FAU, obviously, uh, and then uh, South Florida will be at Hofstra tonight at 7 o'clock. Rice will host UT Martin at 8 and then kind of a big game going on later tonight, not American-affiliated, but 15th-ranked Creighton is on the road in Stillwater as part of the Big Ten Big East, or sorry, Big East Big 12 battle, excuse me, as they will take on the Cowboys of Oklahoma State. So there's kind of the notable games going on tonight. Also, UTSA, sorry, I missed that one, will be hosting Lamar at 9 o'clock. As kind of mentioned earlier, though, last night the first ever SEC ACC challenge wrapped up and it uh, finished in a 7 to 7 tie. So the SEC slowly maybe is becoming a basketball conference as well. A couple of notable, notable games. North Carolina knocked off Tennessee last night. Carolina was up big in this one, they were up at halftime. 61 to 39 and up by more than 30 at one point in the second half. Tennessee rallied back late but was unable to seal the deal. Duke fell to Arkansas last night in a hard-fought game. Uh, Razorbacks only led by one at halftime in that one, but pulled away early in the second half. Duke was able to trim it down late at the end of the game, but Caleb Foster missed a three from the top of the key to kind of, that was Duke's, I guess, last hope, and they were unable to come up despite some good pressure they were able to turn over Arkansas a few times in the half court and were able to or in the full court in the back half of the court I should say and were able to uh, force some turnovers get some free possessions claw back into the game and game which they trailed by double digits only about a minute to go but uh, ended up falling to the Razorbacks so seven and seven overall for the first ever ACC SEC challenge this is something that is these challenges are, are popping up now and it's good to see them it's good to see teams playing each other on their home courts. I think this time of year it's harder now, harder and harder with these expanded conferences. So there's expanded conference games. Obviously, teams have their MTEs at the beginning of the year. I think they like those MTEs because it's you know like three games in three days, kind of how the conference tournament's going to be. Then they also like to go play in some of those other big events where you have um, 
you know, you just played a neutral site because that's more of an NCAA tournament type deal. But uh, definitely seeing these teams play each other on their home floors with the ruckus crowd is really cool to see. So that'll do it for here for our Thursday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. We want to thank uh, Scooter as well as Jim Zoki for joining us today. And stay tuned. We are half an hour away from East Carolina coverage against UNC Wilmington. I am Philip Pilkington, the P-Man. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Have a great rest of your evening, Pirate Nation. Mm-hmm.